2: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Your Village podcast, Parenting Beyond Discipline, the place to learn about all things parenting and get your questions answered. I'm your host, Erin Royer. This week, I am covering some more parenting questions that have come in. One about toddlers and nighttime struggles, another about rewards in particular situations, and another on tweens or teens and power struggles. And then lastly, I'll share an exciting update for our family. Our first question is from Karen, who asks about her two toddlers and nighttimes. She asks, I was wondering what you might suggest for getting my two kids sleeping in the same room without sleep props. My daughter, who turns two tomorrow, has been mainly nursed to sleep since birth and sleeping in my bed. If I get up to pee and she hears me, she freaks out. My three and a half year old sleeps in his bed, but always wants me to sleep with him or stay in his room while he falls asleep. So I'm back and forth all night long between beds. My husband and I rarely get to sleep in the same bed together. My main goal is to put them to bed in the same room since we only have a two bedroom and have time left in the evening for myself. I would love a tip or two. I've read enough sleep books to know I'm in a mess here. I desperately want things to change. Thanks for your help. So this is the answer I sent to Karen. So first of all, this will need to be done in steps. I suggest starting with the younger one and getting her into some good sleep habits first. As you may already know, her sleep association is breastfeeding. So right now, she associates falling to sleep with being breastfed. In order to fix this, first you'll need to switch over her sleep associations to something else that she can do on her own. I would start by listening to the class on infant sleep Even though I understand she's two, the infant sleep class talks about sleep associations and in particular, even covers changing sleep associations away from breastfeeding and different ways of doing that. Now, this doesn't mean that you need to stop breastfeeding. It just means it shouldn't be the last thing you do before she falls asleep. It needs to be set earlier in the bedtime routine. And that class on infant sleep talks about some different ways of going about doing that, switching her over and getting her off the breast as her sleep association, falling asleep. Once you get her falling asleep on her own, then she will stay asleep on her own through the night or should stay asleep on her own through the night because she will put herself back to sleep when she's able to put herself to sleep at bedtime because her sleep association is now self-reliant. This may not be stellar while she's still in with you. But once you move her out of your bed, she should stay asleep on her own and put herself back to sleep in the middle of the night, better and longer. Then once you get her sleep association switched around, you can work on getting her into her own bed. So there are several ways of doing this, and you can check out the class on toddler sleep on different ways to do that. And the reason I say different ways is there's like four different methods and you get to pick which one feels best for you, your child, your situation, etc. So one method is the move out method. This is slowly moving her out of your bed, such as onto the mattress on the floor beside your bed, then at the bottom of the bed, then possibly right outside your bedroom door, and then into her own room, or in this case in the room with her brother. And this is done in steps And you can see exactly how to do that in the toddler sleep class, along with several other options that you can use to put her to sleep in her own room if that one doesn't quite seem like the right fit. Until you're able to get your daughter out of your room, it's going to be particularly difficult, if not impossible, to get your son to stay in his room because chances are he feels like he's missing out. He's the only one by himself in his room since he sees that his sister Is in your room with your husband. And so he's going to want to be there as well. So that's why I say start with the younger one, switch the sleep associations, then get her moved into her own or into the bedroom with her brother. Then you can start working on brother because he won't feel like he's left out when she's in the room with him. So as I said, after you have your daughter sleeping in the room with her brother, that last step would be to work on keeping your son in his own room throughout the night. So how this works is when a child gets up and comes into your room for some kind of attention. You don't allow them to come into your bed. You can say something like, It's still dark out. That means it's nighttime. It's sleepy time. You may not come into my room and wake me up unless the sun is up or unless it's light out. Of course, there are always a few exceptions to this rule. In our house, it's nightmares or illness. I would never let the kids crawl in bed with us, but I would give them a snuggle and a little hug beside the bed and then send them back to their room. Most of the time, this would work unless it was a particularly frightening nightmare. In that case, I would go to their room and snuggle with them for a few minutes and then go back to bed. So go ahead and check out the class on infant sleep. Check out the section of sleep associations and especially changing the sleep association from breastfeeding to something else and start with that. And as I mentioned, there are several other methods that I talk about. The slow transition method, shortening the feeding each night and weaning, or also, of course, you can go cold turkey. If you're not ready to wean, but just want to change the sleep association and breastfeed earlier in the routine, then there are ways to do that that I cover in the class. If you're ready to wean, then you can do that also. But you can decide what you think works best for you, for your child, and the situation. And after you've gone through that, decide what your goals are, and then decide what sounds best. Then pick a bedtime method. If you have any questions, once you get to that point, feel free to send them to me because I know this is a lot and a lot of steps and your kids may present some interesting challenges that may throw you off a little bit. This episode is sponsored by By Heart. By Heart is an infant nutrition company whose mission is simple, make the best formula in the world using the latest in breast milk science, help with sleep and stress as a bonus. Head to myeq.com and use code parenting for 15% off Equilibria's microbiome defense and much more. That's myeq.com and use code parenting at checkout for 15% off site-wide today. The next question comes from Furcon in the UK, and he asks, I wanted to ask something about your podcast, about the problem with rewards. I get what you're saying about there being no need to give a sticker or a well done for every little thing, but what do you think about for the following examples? Having a celebration for a milestone achieved, for example, graduating middle school or high school, a gift to a child for finishing a really difficult book, a gift for passing a driving test. So I talk about each of these examples one by one. Celebrating a milestone. Absolutely. Because it is exactly that. It's a celebration. Because it is for a bigger milestone like a graduation, the reward will not be tied to the achievement. The achievement will stand on its own. A job well done. A feeling of accomplishment for all the years of hard work. The celebration is just the cherry on top. And in my opinion, a great reason to share and connect With friends and family. That's what life's about. Finishing a difficult book. This one can be tricky. I wouldn't buy a gift for finishing a difficult book unless it's another book. If it's candy or a toy or pizza, then you risk taking away from the accomplishment of finishing the book and making the reading more about the pizza or the toy. This undermines the desire to read for the sake of reading. So, for instance, In our house, my oldest is reading the Harry Potter series. He loves the stories and can't wait to read each night. We read them together, and then sometimes he'll read on his own. Once we finish the book, we get the next book in the series. So it just builds that love for these books, the series, and reading in general. It's been awesome. A gift for passing a driving test. I would say that most kids are so excited to pass a driving test that that is the reward, but I don't think it would be at all harmful to buy a kid a small token that is related to driving, like their own keychain related to something they love, like a certain sports team or character, or a gas card, which is a card for a gas station, I guess in the UK you call it petrol, so something like that could be fun. Now Katie has a question about her 11-year-old son. She says... My son used to be relatively cooperative. I mean, not always, of course, but generally reasonable. Now it just seems like he's starting to butt up against us a lot more. I've tried to pull out every tool I have, from paying him a dollar to taking away his gaming or TV privileges, yet nothing works and doesn't seem to even faze him at all most of the time. So Katie, first I'm going to talk a little bit about teens. While your son is not quite there yet, he is on the cusp, and so it's important to address this piece. Then I'll talk about the tools you're using, at least the two you've mentioned, and why they aren't working, and then share some tools that are more effective, especially for tweens and teens. First, there are two times in child development when kids have big pushes for independence, toddlerhood. And adolescence. So these times are by their nature more trying than other times in childhood. But with good communication, respect, and boundaries, they can go much smoother. Never perfect, but overall much smoother. So trying to pay for compliance is a bribe. What happens is you then have to start paying more and more to get the same level of compliance, and hence why you're being met with apathy. Rewards or bribes are external motivators. If he would comply, it would only be for the reward, the payment. What we want is to build internal motivation. We want kids to want to grow, to learn, to help, and cooperate for all the right reasons, not because they're being rewarded in some manner. Internal motivation will serve them well throughout life and will help them to be more successful when we're not always around to bribe, plead, beg, or badger them to do the right thing. Now I go into more detail on this problem with rewards and some things to do instead on the episode on rewards and punishments. That's episode number 38. So if you haven't heard it already, be sure to go back and listen to that one. I also talk about internal versus external motivators in the episode on self-esteem, episode number two, as internal motivation is an extremely important piece to building and maintaining true self-esteem. So be sure to check out that episode if you haven't already. Now, consequences. While they can be effective, need to be a last resort, especially as your kids head into teen years. By the time they are 11, 12, and beyond, kids are sensitive to feeling forced. Remember that this is that push for independence, so they need to feel in control of their schedule and decisions about many things, what they wear, when they do their homework, which sports they want to play, where they sit at the movies, when they do their chores. Tween and teen years become a lot more about compromise, trust, coaching, and communication about what each party wants and or needs, and how you can come together so both parties can get their needs met. If your son is pushing back on helping around the house, talk with him about it. If things are heated in that moment, let it go and revisit it when everyone is calmer. Helping around the house isn't a choice, but when he helps can be, or which ways he helps can also be a choice. Have a discussion, You know helping around the house is an important part of being part of this family. We all do a lot, and we all need to pitch in. Allow him to share his frustrations and listen, because he will have frustrations. All kids do. Maybe he doesn't want to stop watching his favorite show right in the middle because the dishwasher needs emptied right at that moment. Or maybe he's not ready to sit down and do homework the moment he gets home from school discussing how he can help or how he can get his homework done and do them on his terms will make everyone happier and feel more respected and therefore be more cooperative. If after the discussion things still aren't getting done and he's not taking responsibility or following his end of the bargain, then it's time to talk about that and how to fix it. Now, I want to preface this by saying also that teens are not always reasonable. Just like toddlers aren't always reasonable, teens aren't either. There are a lot of changes going on in their brains and their body, a lot of hormones, and they're going to be moody, and they're going to have kind of like temper tantrums like toddlers do. So allow space for him to calm down and then come back and revisit it. But the more that he shows that he can be responsible and helpful and more mature in the way he handles conflict, the more responsibility he's going to get to have. You can put out a consequence if he doesn't follow through at that point if you feel you've given him a fair shot. You can even ask, We discussed your new homework schedule. I trust you to take this responsibility seriously, and yet you aren't getting it done. How are we going to fix this? If you continue to not get it done, what do you think a good consequence should be? You would be surprised how good older kids can be at actually coming up with fair consequences. Sometimes they don't, and it can be a good opportunity to bring humor to the conversation if they totally miss the mark on coming up with a fair consequence. Parenting tween and teens will require some very solid communication skills and a lot of patience. The last thing I will say about consequences is that if you give it and he doesn't seem to care, stick with what you put out anyway. He may really care and just be testing you or trying to gain the upper hand, but if he doesn't, that's okay, follow through. So you will stick with your word and scratch it off your list to not use it the next time. Now, I'm also in the process of creating a discipline class for parents of tweens and teens. Right now, we do have many classes already available on the site that are great tools to use with this age already. First, as with any age, intro to discipline is just a great introductory course to discipline, why some things work better than others, and the expected outcomes for different parenting styles. Then, the classes we already have that are good to use with tweens and teens include humor, special time, communication tools, family meetings, and choices. Yes, choices. Not like which shirt do you want, or do you want to stop watching TV now or in five minutes, but things like When do you want to do your homework? Which jobs would you like to do around the house? Choices change as kids age. And when kids hit nine, choices will change to support their budding desire for freedom and tap into their desire for responsibility. You can find all the discipline classes on the site at yourvillageonline.com under the discipline tab. Like I mentioned, I will be adding more tools and then also combining all these tools together in one class with all the parts that apply to the 11 and over crowd, specifically called Discipline Tools for Teens. So you can be on the lookout for that. So it's just like the Discipline Tools classes we have for the younger kids, Discipline Tools for Toddlers, Discipline Tools for Elementary Age Kids. This one will be Discipline Tools for Teens. It'll be the next Discipline Tools class in the series for that next age group that I haven't yet completed. So now for our family update. We now have four kids. No, I'm not pregnant. Well, I don't think so anyway. I hope not. We have taken in a young lady who was babysitting for our kids. She had been in and out of foster care from 13 to 18. She's now 19, so legally an adult. But she was really struggling on her own and especially financially and in other ways as well and hadn't gotten the support and guidance she needed to be able to be successful on her own. She's amazing, sweet, caring, and motivated young person. We saw so much potential in her and that all she needed was a chance. She wants to go to college and become a teacher, so we invited her to live with us. We've set down some rules and expectations, and after a little bit of internal struggle on her part, and no wonder, basically being on her own for so long and being so responsible for so many things, so young, including younger siblings and much more, it's a big change. When all you've had is dysfunction, being a part of a healthy family can be a scary thought on many levels, but she happily accepted our offer. She's already applied to college and wants to start in the summer semester, And she's already gone to several job interviews and has several more lined up. The younger kids adore her and her them. And she's so happy and grateful to be a part of this family and already calls us mom and dad. She wanted a loving family so badly. So we are now a family of six and we couldn't be more excited. If you have a parenting question you'd like answered, you can send an email to podcast at your Thanks for listening and see you next time.